Romans chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. Romans chapter 8. One of the things that uh, is kind of an interesting week-to-week thing for me uh, as we go through this and as even talking with, with Pastor Brad, which by the way, there was a Pastor Brad sighting today. Looking forward to getting him back full time. But when we're talking, um, uh, talking about you know where we're going to be going in the text, and I've shared with you sometimes, I mean, how how far we're going to get. And I don't know how many of you have pools going on. How far do you think we're going to get this week? How many verses we're going to cover? But um, I oftentimes don't know until you know late late in the week, sometimes on Saturday. But I have to tell you, this week I knew very early on that we weren't going to get very far. uh, you know, the events that took place early this week on, on Sunday night that have rocked our country, um, the, the suffering that, is, that we're going through as a country and so many individually because of what took place in Las Vegas, you know, there's the, the, the reality that suffering is all around us. And the Bible's not silent about suffering. As a matter of fact, It'd be hard, it's hard to read very many pages without suffering being addressed in in one way or another. And this morning, I want to spend some time looking at what the Word of God has to say about suffering, and very specifically, the suffering in the life of a believer, the life of a child of God. And it just so happens that that's exactly where we find ourselves, where we left off last week in Romans chapter 8. We, we last week looked at verses starting in 12 uh, through 17, and we saw in the middle of that, in verse 14, it tells us that those who are being led by the Spirit of God, those are, that are born again, le- filled with the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, are in fact children of God. Children of God. And because of that, it goes on to say, you know, we're, we're, we, can, we can cry out to our heavenly father as we would a little child cries out to his earthly father, Abba, Father, that idea of, of daddy, that close, intimate relationship. And the spirit of God, verse 16, it tells us he himself testifies with our spirit that we, in fact, are children of God. The Holy Spirit speaking to our very spirit within us. That, that testifying to this truth. We know that we know that we know that, that it goes beyond simply this idea that we've been forgiven of our sin, but we are children of God. Verse 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But then we get to this difficult section that we look at today at the middle of verse 17 through verse 18. It says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And one of the things when we look at this, this child and father relationship, we, we oftentimes, when, when we as parents, little chil- our little children, we would do anything that we could to protect them and keep them from suffering. And so why, we come to this point and we say, well, well, God, if I'm a follower of yours, why would I suffer? Why, why go through this? What, what it, what's the deal anyway? 
And, and so often even there's, there's teaching that goes around that says, you know, if you give your life to the Lord, you follow after God, suffer, you don't have to suffer anymore. As a matter of fact, everything is going to be great and everything's going to be going. Bottom line, the Bible nowhere says that. As a matter of fact, it says the exact opposite. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul said that, that if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will face persecution. And in our text, we see this. If we look at the second half of verse 17, notice it says, if indeed. That is one Greek word in the text, and it does not speak of the possibility of suffering. It speaks of the actuality of suffering. It could be better translated, because we suffer. And as Christians, there are several things the Bible speaks of. And first off, we see it right here, the reality of suffering. And not only suffering just as the world experiences, because we live in a fallen, Christ-rejecting world, suffering is all around us, but suffering that happens very specifically because we are Christians. We see this illustrated even in Mark chapter 4 when we see the very familiar story of Jesus and his disciples in a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up that is so strong, so fierce that it even starts freaking out. Normal the, the fishermen who fished on the Sea of Galilee who saw storms all the time, they face these storms and even get to the point where they think they're going to die. It's that bad. And Jesus is in the boat with them asleep. And, and we see that they are in the middle of that. The text tells us because Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. They're in the middle of that storm because they are exactly in the middle of where Jesus told them to be, in the middle of the will of God, and they're facing this storm that they think is going to take them under. In the book of Daniel, we see another familiar story of three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they are thrown into a fiery furnace, heated up multiple times hotter than it normally is, thrown in there because they refused to bow down to conform to what the rest of the world was doing in worshiping the king. And that so infuriated the king that he had them thrown in there to have them, have them killed. And they're in that situation because they were followers of the true and living God and because they refused to conform to the world around them. Now, the suffering that we face as, as believers, it comes in all different shapes and sizes. Persecution, facing persecution, and, and that, again, is very different. We know that we don't face persecution to the degree or to the level that some of our brothers and sisters do around the world. We have great freedom still in this country. We can gather here today and do this openly. We can sing out at the top of our lungs. We can worship the Lord Jesus. We can open his word, read it, study it together. But there are brothers and sisters of ours around the world that if they were caught doing what we're doing right now, they would be executed. And though we don't face that, we still do face persecution. It's promised to us again in his word. We just said that. Paul said, if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will face persecution. And no doubt there are many in this room or possibly even this week, because you take a stand for the Lord, because you refuse to compromise and be like the world around you, face persecution, whether it's at school and because you take a stand for Jesus and won't be, won't be caught up in some of the things that all of the other students do, you're made fun of or even perhaps bullied. 
in, in the workplace, made fun of or passed over for a job in family situations or whatever it might be, facing persecution. Now, some, some commentators believe, if you, if you read through this, they believe that that's where it stops with the suffering that is spoken of in the text that we're talking about. Suffering, persecution, direct persecution that comes. But I have, to, I have to tell you, I don't believe that that's the case because I believe there is much more suffering and, and trials and difficulties that we go through as believers because we are Christians. Even things that the rest of the world also experiences but we go through specifically, again, because we're believers. What do I mean by that? Well, as a for instance, many years ago, we went through a very difficult trial in our life. This, diff- this trial ended up costing us everything. We lost our business. We lost, we lost everything. We lost our home. We lost everything through that. Now, did that happen because I was a born-again believer? I don't know. But I will tell you, there was a point in my life, a point in Christina's in my life, when we went before the Lord and we said, Lord, it's all yours. You do with it what you want. And there were several times after that, I checked back in with him and said, "Um, hey, are are we on the same page here? (laughs) Because this doesn't seem to be going the way I thought it would. When I gave it to you, I was expecting, you know, a whole lot more. And I I say that because I'm, I'm, I... I believe that we, we sometimes fall short of the fact that an understanding that suffering, trials, tribulations, difficulties we go through, all of them, I believe, are because we're, we're believers. I hope as I can help develop that here a little bit more as we move through today. But the book of Job speaks of it. Job went through tremendous suffering. He lost he lost his home, he lost family, his health situation, all of those things. And we could look around and say, well, that happens everywhere in the world. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, and we know that. And we wouldn't know it was any different unless we read the book of Job, where it tells us that that happened to him because he was a sold-out follower of God. We also know that, that the enemy comes against us because we are believers, because we follow Jesus, The enemy of our souls comes against us passionately. Jesus was speaking to Peter and he said, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And I know all of us would love to have read the next part of that sentence would have been that Jesus said, but I told him, no way, Jose, you don't touch my man, Peter. But that's not what it says. It says, but Peter I prayed for you that when you return, restore your brothers. And like I said, I think in our flesh, we would all like to say, okay, as our heavenly father, I want, I want my daddy to step in and keep me from ever going through that. But I hope by the time we're done today, going through what the Bible tells us about suffering as believers, we can embrace that what Jesus said to Peter Instead of saying, I wouldn't let him, he said, I prayed for you, and when you come back, restore your brothers, we see that that is actually the best. Peter will later write in 1 Peter chapter 5, be of sober spirit, be on the the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. 
First off, we see the reality of suffering. It's experienced by our brethren throughout the world. We have a very real adversary, your adversary, the devil, and he is relentless. But the Bible doesn't stop at just speaking of the reality of suffering. It also speaks of our refuge in suffering as Christians. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No matter what it is that you go through, I will never leave you. He said, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. He is our refuge in suffering. Psalm 46 tells us this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That very present literally means abundantly available continually all the time in our time of trouble. Therefore, because of that fact, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, we will not fear because God is our refuge. He is our strength. In those examples that I gave you earlier, the disciples in the middle of the storm, in the midst of it all, Jesus right there with them in the boat. He never leaves us. No matter what storm we face, Jesus is in the boat with us. And that should bring us great comfort. It should, it should, it should ease our panic when we see that Jesus is so at peace, he's sleeping. <laughs> if Jesus isn't panicking, we shouldn't be panicking. And as we sang earlier, the wind and waves still know his name. It's just, a mo it's just a word from his mouth, be still, and the storm was calmed. But not a moment before, he chose to do that. We also see in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they, the king has these three men thrown into the furnace, and then he wants to take a peek and watch them sizzle. And instead of that, he looks in and he says, hang on a second, didn't we throw three guys in there? I see four walking around, and one of them looks like the Son of God. And what do you know? It was the Son of God walking around with them in the midst of the fire, a furnace that is cranked up hotter than, than, we, could, than we could imagine, cranked up to that heat. And I love the part in that story when we look at that. You know, as they're walking around, it says they're walking around talking with him. They're not in a hurry to get out. They weren't screaming, hey, let us out of here. Because they were there with their refuge. They were there with their strength. They were there with Jesus. And guys, nextly, secondly, after that, not only a refuge in our suffering, but because he is with us, there is restrictions on our suffering. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, note when, not if, when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Why? Because I will be with you. There's restrictions on the suffering. God is in control, all-powerful, almighty God to make sure that we are not overcome by the things that we face, the trials, the tribulations, the sufferings. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says that we are, as believers, and then he lists 
four things. It's interesting how he puts that. He says, we are, not again, we might be, we are afflicted, but not crushed. The afflictions come. Yes, they are there. But again, because the Lord Jesus is with us and because he is in control, those afflictions, when they come to us, do not crush us. He says that we're perplexed but not despairing. Interesting, when you look at the, those two words in the original Greek language, it says that we are our, uh, aporio but not ex aporio. Same word, but just added a, a different degree. Yes, we're facing these things that can seem overwhelming at the, on the face, but we are never completely overwhelmed because he is with us, because he is in control. Persecuted, not forsaken, not abandoned, not left alone, so much so that he takes it on himself. The persecution that we face becomes a very personal thing to him. He said that, right? When he was on the, Saul was on the, Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus when, to persecute Christians and Jesus met him along the way and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you come against one of my kids, when you come against one of my followers, you are coming against me. We are struck down, but not destroyed. That again is because he is with us and he is in control. Sovereign, almighty God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation, that word can also be translated trial, suffering. No trial, no suffering has overtaken you, but as such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted, tried, put in a situation beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, with the trial, with the suffering, will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Interesting, the last part of that, looking at it, it says a way of escape. God provides a way of escape, but it's not like the, the handle that's right there that you can just pull and eject. It's not like running out the, the, the emergency exit door. The way of escape, notice it says, so that you will be able to endure it. So that you'll be able to endure it. You see, it's not about avoiding. It's about advancing. The way through it to get through to the other side. Because... Not only is there restrictions on suffering, guys, there's reasons for suffering. It's not, again, just because God wants to have some fun stuff to watch up in heaven. There's a reason for it. And we see that in our text. In verse 17, remember it says, if indeed we suffer with him, notice, so that we may also be glorified with him. So that means there's the reason for it, that we may also be glorified with him. When we get down here a little bit further in verse 29 of chapter 8, it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. It's interesting when you look at the process of Purify, purifying metals. 
It's called proving them, and that's actually the Greek word that is used often when it's talking about testing our faith, proving our faith. It's the process of making silver or gold completely pure. And it's a beautiful picture, again, about us going through trials, difficulties, suffering, because it, the, the process involves heating up the metal to an intense heat and then removing the dross from it. And then as the metal is hardened, that process is continued and it has gone through over and over again. But it's not something that you and I can just pick up and do you know, on a weekend as a hobby. It takes years and years to master the process. And a master silversmith will tell you that he never takes his eye off of the metal when it's in the, it, in the process. It has to be heated to just the right temperature, and it can only be in so long, or the process can actually have negative effects. And again, he won't allow us to be tempted or tried or tested beyond what we're able. But also, it tells us that they, they say that they know the process is complete perfectly when they can see their image perfectly in the metal. And that, again, is the process that we go through to be conformed to the image of Christ, seeing his reflection perfectly in us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, note, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to the, his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul understood that there was a reason why he went through all of the things that he went through. He's faced suffering again in his lifetime because of him following Jesus, him boldly proclaiming Jesus that you and I will probably never face in our lives. And yet he said it was all worth it. Every bit of it. As a matter of fact, everything that he lost in that process, he considered a pile of garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus, to being the, the, the privilege that he looked at to, to fellowship in Christ's sufferings. He understood that there was a reason for suffering. Guys, also the Bible tells us and is very clear the results of suffering in our lives, even now, our sanctification process, the lives that we live right now, one of those, one of the results of suffering is that contentment is learned. We learn to be content. We learn to embrace where God has us. And can I tell you, that is the happiest place to be. You will find more peace and comfort and joy if you will simply be content where God has you. So much anxiety, so much stress, so much everything else that, that, that eats away at our joy comes from not being content, continually striving for more attention, more money, more things, instead of just simply being content right where God has us. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 that contentment is something we learn. And unfortunately, it's not something that we learn or can learn through a correspondence course or a quick little online weekend class that we take. We learn it through experience. 
In Paul's experience, he said, I've learned to be content because I've learned that, that whether it's in humble means or prosperity, being filled, going hungry, having abundance, or suffering need, I can have joy, I can have peace, because I embrace where God has me, because I know I'm not there alone. I know he's right there with me. I know that he has put restrictions on whatever that is, and he has a purpose behind it all. So we can also learn that contentment. Another result of suffering is that perseverance is developed. Endurance. And, and endurance is that, that, that product in someone that allows them to go further the next time, to go, to go above and beyond where they have ever been able to go before. Endurance in a runner. As they build endurance, they're able to run farther, faster, for, for, and, and without as much exhaustion. Same thing, you know, bodybuilding or any type of sports. Endurance to be able to do more. And that is built Within us, James writes in James chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, there's that, it's used there, the process of proving our faith, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Also, the Bible tells us that, that one of the results of suffering is that, that providence is revealed. God's hand in it all is revealed to us. We can see sometimes not in the midst of it, sometimes not till we get to the other side of it. Can we look back and we can see God's hand in it all and the purpose behind it all? We see that displayed in the story of Joseph back in, in Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers. And once he gets to Egypt, he's bought by a man named Potiphar to be his slave. And then he is, he's lied to about by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into jail. He meets some guys in jail after a few years. And he says, hey, when you guys get out, remember me. And guess what? They forgot him. And so he's in this whole thing. And no doubts along the way, he probably would be where you and I are. He's like, God, I'm just trying to stand up for you. I'm just trying to do things that honor you. Everything I'm doing is to bring you glory, and yet it still seems that everything just keeps piling on me. But at the end of it all, on the other side of it, after his brothers came and he was telling, he revealed who he was to his brothers, you know the story, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I can see that now at the other end. What you meant to use to destroy me, what you meant to use to tear me down, God meant for good. And not only did he mean it for good, he's using it for good. He, he, the children of Israel in their infancy were saved from a famine through that whole process and were able to prosper then in Egypt before going out and eventually getting to the promised land, all because one man saw the providential hand of God through his suffering. Suffering allows us to do that, to get to the other side. And because of those things, we learn contentment. We learn to, to be content where God has us, regardless of, of what that might be. We learn that as we go through that, we develop perseverance and we can see God's hand in it as we go through it and, 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 and persevere in it. Guys, our perspective is changed. I can't tell you how many times in my life, growing up as a Christian and, and in my early walk, and, and even sometimes today still, I get to that point where it's just like, and maybe you can relate to it, why, Lord? Why? But I'll tell you, more often than not now, 
my question is, why not? I, I should expect that. Peter even says that. He says, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that comes for your testing as though some strange thing were happening. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, rejoice. Why do we act like it's such a weird thing, like it's some strange thing? He says, don't act that way. I can tell you right now on a pretty much weekly basis, sometime between Friday late morning and Saturday early afternoon, something's coming. Because I've been studying the word, I've been praying, I've been getting ready for this, something's coming. And now it's more or less like, what took you so long? It's it's almost one o'clock on Saturday. Why should we be surprised? Job at the end said, God, I, I heard of you, but now I see you. It, his perspective had changed. Second Corinthians chapter one says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of how much comfort? All comfort. Who comforts us in how much affliction? All our affliction, notice this, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How about that for a perspective change? That we go through suffering and Whatever it is that we go through, we receive comfort from the God of all comfort. And one of the, the byproducts at the end is that we now can go and be used by God to comfort someone else who is going through a trial, the trial of their life, the suffering that they face. It continues, verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Again, there it is. The suffering is real. In abundance, but notice, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Comfort one another with the comfort you've received. Guys, bottom line, the results of suffering is God is glorified, we are purified, the saints are edified, and the world is mystified. Because they look at us and say, what is going on with you? How in the world can you go through what we just went through and have joy? That you can rejoice in the trials and the difficulties and in the suffering. Because we're, we're going through the same thing and I don't feel that. And our hope is that through that, through that interaction and through us then telling them about Jesus, some of the lost would be justified. We see that firsthand everywhere there's suffering and there are Christians with boots on the ground. We saw it firsthand in Houston when we went down and, and visited that. You see, see pictures of that all over the place now where you know organizations like Samaritan's Purse and other places are on the ground. The Christians serving with joy, visible joy, and the world totally doesn't know what to do. Our perspective has changed. And guys, again, going through all of this, understanding all of this, lastly, our, our response in suffering in verse 18, 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Consider. That word means to, to, to weigh it out. Paul, Paul says, I, I, I've, I've weighed it all out. I've put everything out here together. And when I put the suffering in this basket on this side of the scale, and I put the glory that is yet to be revealed to us in this side of the scale, it's, it's like putting a feather over here and putting a, a tunnel, ton of lead over here. It just like totally tips the scale. It's not even worth being compared. The suffering versus the glory that is to be ours. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, when Paul writes here, momentary light affliction, he is not making light of our suffering and saying, ah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't go through, you shouldn't suffer. You know, kind of like, you know, the one thing I hear a lot is, well, there's people on other places that are suffering more than you. Does that ever make you feel good when you're suffering? No, what Paul is saying by momentary light, light affliction He's saying, compared to what is there, compared to what lies ahead for us, the suffering compared to the glory, the time frame, he says momentary compared to eternal. Paul understands suffering. Like I said, he's been through it. When he's writing this, he has suffered again more than, more than most of us will ever face. He's not making light of the suffering. He's just compared to what's there. And notice he says this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Producing for us. So I, I come back to, I kind of asked this question at the beginning or kind of set this up this way. Sometimes we, you know, again, as parents, we'll try to do everything that we can, can to protect our, our, our children from suffering or to go through anything. But if the suffering that the Lord allows us to go through never leaves us during, holds back the, the, the full brunt of, puts limitations on, has a purpose behind, will is in fact producing an eternal weight of glory that will go on forever, that is beyond any description, beyond anything our minds can comprehend, why would we want to avoid it? Why would I want to pull the... The, the handle to, to emergency eject or run out when his word promises me that he will get me through to the other side. And again, when we get to heaven, the glory that is to be revealed, we see now with eyes of faith as we walk through. Turn back a couple of pages here to chapter five. This isn't a first mention Paul had of, of suffering in the letter here. Chapter 5, verse 3, he says this, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, our crushing, actually, literally, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does 
not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit given to us. This hope that we have, it does not disappoint. The Holy Spirit, again, that fast forward back to chapter, chapter 8 here, verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit in us helps connect this idea of, of the already what we have and the not yet what we are yet to receive. Understanding that this glory that is ours, we already possess though we don't, we don't realize it yet. When we get to verse 30, it says that we are also glorified already. This eternal weight of glory. Turn with me real quickly to the book of Revelation. Kind of summarize, again, what we're talking about with regard to suffering Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaking to John and John recording the letters to the churches. And as we studied through this a while back, we go through each one of these and there's a message not only to the church then, but the church, the church of Christ today, us, speaking directly to us. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. He identifies himself as the first and the last. Jesus speaking, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, almighty, all-powerful creator God, sovereign, king of kings and lord of lords, the beginning and the end, alpha and the omega. He has no beginning, has no end, almighty God. He's saying, I'm the one who's saying this. I, this is the one speaking the one who has absolute victory, total victory, the one who is dead and has come to life. Notice what he says, verse nine, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Almighty, all-powerful, creator God knows personally and intimately what you're dealing with, what you're going through. He knows your tribulation. He knows the suffering that you face because you follow him, because you're a child of God. And your, your poverty, that word literally means abject poverty, not just without excess, having absolutely nothing. And when he was speaking to this church here in Smyrna, Smyrna was a very wealthy city. And here these were that were in abject poverty because they would not compromise. All they would have to do is compromise, kind of go along with the world around them, kind of blend right in. They'd have been fine. But because they stood for the Lord, it says they were in poverty from the world's eyes. But notice, from the Lord's eyes, but you are rich. Man's economy versus God's economy. Because he sees everything. He sees what is being stored up for us. And Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasure here. Where moth and steel, or moth and, and rust can destroy, but, and somebody can break in and steal, but don't store for it in heaven where none of that can happen. It's secured and held tight for you. Verse 10 Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. And you will have tribulation for 10 days. Again, don't fear what you're about to suffer. Don't fear what is yet to come. I'll be with you. His promise is always to be with you. And what we go through is for our testing. Again, 
He has purpose in it. That's why he allows it. He moves, he works through this. Again, the speaking of the 10 days, a brief period of time compared to eternity. And can I just say, I understand it, and certainly the Lord understands it, that while we're in the midst of suffering, while we're in the middle of it, it seems anything but temporary. It seems anything but a brief time. But compared to eternity, the one who is outside of time is the one who is telling you, you just hang on. It's but a short time. Be faithful until death. Be faithful to the end, and I will give you the crown of life. He knows. He knows completely, totally what you're going through. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a king. We don't have a savior and Lord who doesn't understand what we go through, but we have one who submitted himself to everything that we go through so that he can relate to us, He went through it all already, and he goes through it again with us. He knows the trial, but he also knows the reward, the crown of life that he will give to us. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The second death. What's the second death? Well, I've heard it put this way before. Good way to help remember it. He who is born twice will only die once. But if you've only been born once, you will die twice. Born twice, die once. Born twice, born physically, but also born again spiritually. You must be born again. And if you are born again, you will only die once and then enter into eternal life in heaven. But if you've only been born physically, never been born again spiritually, you will die twice. Die physically, but die here, as it says, the second death, more more explained in Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire, eternal death, suffering and punishment forever for the sins that we've committed. But as believers, we won't face that second death. We have eternal life. When it comes to suffering, again, as we've discussed this morning now, the reality of it, the resources in it, the restrictions on it, the reasons for it, the results of it, and our response in it, We can only claim if we have been redeemed by his suffering, his suffering in our place. None of this, none of this applies unless we are born again, but all of it is ours as children of God. Hebrews chapter two says this, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He became one of us so that he could take our place. He could die in our place, tasting death completely, totally, so that we never have to. That is one area of suffering we will never experience as a born-again believer because he did it himself. All of this Ours as believers. Suffering is real. It's very real. But we're never alone in it. We're going to celebrate communion this morning, but I want to do something as the family of God first. We're all family here. We all care and 
for and love one another. And I know that with this many people here this morning, there are some of you, perhaps many, that are going through a time of suffering, that are going through a time of, of trial. And this isn't a matter of trying to rank where that all fits. Guys, suffering is, is real. We all go through it. Bottom line is you're either suffering right now, you're going through a trial right now, or you've just come out of one, or you're about to go into one. And I want to speak to you this morning if you are, if you're going through a trial right now, if you're suffering today, would you, would you please stand so that we can pray for you? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, now, don't you stay standing. I want now, as, as those who have received comfort from the Lord and suffering at some point in our lives, as brothers and sisters, would you stand around those who are standing right now? And would you extend a hand towards those that are in a trial right now and suffering right now? And would you please join me at the throne of grace and mercy of our heavenly Father together. And let's go before him. God, we come to you, Father, this morning. And we cry out to you, Abba, Father, Daddy, would you hear our prayer today? And we thank you and we praise you that we don't have to beg for an audience with you. But you are eager to hear our prayer. And Lord, we, we acknowledge right now the very reality of suffering. And we thank you and we praise you that you are our refuge in time of trouble. And Lord, we know that your word promises and we hold on to that promise this morning that, that you will not allow us to go through a trial that you will not carry us through that you will provide a way through it so that we can endure it. We know that there's a reason behind it all. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning on behalf of our, our brothers and sisters here today who are suffering, who are going through a trial. And, Lord, we ask that you would move a mountain that you would heal, that you would restore, that you would repair, that you would mend as only you can. Lord, you know the intimate details behind the reason why each of these stood today. And Lord, we boldly ask that you would remove the suffering from their life. Lord, we also know that you have a plan and a purpose and that your grace is sufficient. So Lord, have your way. We pray that you would be glorified. 
that your, that your saints would be sanctified and edified. Have your way, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please, as you're making your way back to your seats, please be seated. And if you're here today and do want to also extend an opportunity this morning, if you're here today and you've never taken that step to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please don't leave here today without making that right with the Lord. It is a, it is a heart transaction between you and God. And if, if you're here today and, and, you understand, and you know that and you're, you're tired of fighting this battle alone and, and you want to know that your sins are forgiven, that, again, is a heart thing between you and the Lord. And you need to go before him in your heart right now and pray along these lines saying, God, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And Jesus, I thank you for revealing yourself to me today. And right now, I... I surrender to you. I repent. I turn from my sin. I turn to you. And I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sin. That, that you would take your rightful place in my life. Jesus, I make you Lord. I will follow after you from this moment on. I ask your spirit to fill me and give me that, that power to follow after you. Lord, I want to know that the promises of your word are true, and I believe that, that you took my place and paid my debt. In Jesus' name, amen.